0: Bet the Greek. I'm telling you to back down. And I'm telling you that I will never back down. Then I'll make you. Oh, really? How are you going to do that? Through the use of force. That is very general and does not scare me in the slightest. 940 Wins, Miami Sports. It is the Greek zone. Good afternoon, everybody. 866 940 You're listening to 940 Wins. Waffle Wednesday. Don't waffle on anything. Pay attention. Lamar Jackson, over, or under, 999 yards. What are you doing? You betting it? I like down there in this one. I got to be honest with you. Um, Roger Goodell, not taking salary. Wow, that's pretty impressive. He makes between 30 and 40 million. He's in the neighborhood of our morning show host, Jeff DeForest. I mean, he makes some serious money there, Roger Goodell. No doubt about it. Brady's Challenge, all-in challenge, $800,000 it raised. The Dolphins' Tua is third on the list to win rookie of the year. So much going on. Uh, And we got Jeff DeForest joining us. Nice for him to call us. I want to ask him about guys that he knows, like Dennis Rodman, who played in the NBA, or people he worked with were as crazy as Rodman. Defo, what's going on?
1: Greek, my friend. How are you on this fine afternoon?
0: Beautiful weather. Are you on the beach?
1: No, I'm sitting in the front yard here uh, looking at the people going by on A1A. A lot of people out exercising. Not a ton of traffic by comparison to what would usually be the load here, but I think people are happy uh, that they eased a few restrictions on parks and things like that, and uh, we'll see how it goes.
0: Yeah, I say no. Thanksgiving. Everybody stays into Thanksgiving. But, uh, you know, I'm not the governor, so we'll see what happens. Let me ask you something. Have you watched The Last Dance at all with the Bulls and the craziness of Dennis Rodman?
1: Fascinated by it, as a lot of people are. I love sports documentaries, as you know, Greek, and uh, this is really well done. We had a chance to speak to the director, uh, a gentleman named, uh, I believe it's Jason is his first name. His last name is Hare, and we spoke with him before the series started. Wasn't sure what to expect. A lot of people were thinking, wait a minute that uh, a 10-part, one-hour, 10-hour total documentary on one season of the Bulls, but it really has a lot of retrospective stuff and goes all the way back to the beginning of Michael's career. And Even though I still can't explain to you how to operate the triangle offense, uh, fascinating stuff and great access. Uh, I love behind-the-scenes footage, and the interviews are terrific. And uh, you see a lot of reasons uh, about how tough it is to win in the NBA, especially those Bulls-Pistons matchups. Uh, Speaking of Rodman, how great was that? Uh, when and we're going to have Ronnie Rustin on our show tomorrow. I didn't yeah. realize this. Um, you know the movie Staying Alive with John Travolta. Yeah. Where uh, Tra- Travolta is, uh, you know, he, I think I mentioned this to you on Saturday, and he does his wild sexual dance, and his mother's in the audience. It's yeah. The worst and movie. she just has <laughs> this blank look on her face and said, "Who knew?" And I, I thought of Ronnie Rustin because he's such a good guy, and he was such a tremendous guy when he was coaching the Heat. Very accessible and always funny, he has a great sarcastic sense of humor and uh, wild stories. And he, of course, was the architect of that distance defense. And I'm thinking, who knew this guy had this level of violence in him that yeah. he could conjure up because uh, it, it wasn't uh, out of uh, the realm of possibilities that you take a karate chop to the Adam's apple and there were no flagrant fouls then. And, uh, and of course, Rodman, a brilliant defender. I mean, he yeah. uh, wasn't a great shooter would score some points here and there, get 10, 12 points on garbage stuff and tip-ins and things like that, and just his energy on the boards on the offensive end, and every now and then would take a horrible shot as everybody was cringing, and once in a while it would bounce three times off the rim and go in. But, wow, what what a wild defender. Nobody wanted this guy on him. And uh, we got a chance to know him uh, personally a little bit when we were doing some shows at the Ocean Manor Hotel. They had a place out there called the Bamboo Beach Tiki Bar, And the guy that owns the hotel is a good friend of ours, Frank Tallarico, a great restaurateur, tremendous uh, guy in the uh, entertainment and hospitality business. And Rodman was hanging out there all the time. And this was a toned-down version of Rodman, and he was insane. You just never knew what you were going to get. So, um, yeah, I mean, the the story's great, and uh, the way they're covering it I I think is terrific. It's been fascinating. Any sports fan would want to tune in and watch this, whether you like Michael Jordan or not.
0: And how do you think Jordan's portraying himself for coming across in this? Because uh, a lot of times he looks like he's a little lit a couple times.
1: <laughs> he does look bombed. Uh, yeah, it's good. Uh, and I, I thought of you too, Greek, because I thought only you could walk in to the management there at iHeart Media and <laughs> say, in the middle of like the the biggest period of time where everything is uh, going on, and uh, you know they need you in all different categories and say, I I need to go to Vegas for 48 hours. And they were going, okay, we're going to hold you when you get back. (laughs) Just let us know. I mean, that was the best part of the whole show with the last dance, uh, when Robin took off to Vegas uh, and partied for 72 hours with Carmen Electra and uh, whoever else he could get his hands on. And that includes uh, all varieties of both male and female. So, yeah, what what a crazy cat. How do you manage that guy? I mean, uh, you've been in management and... Almost impossible to try and reel this guy in, but they needed him. He was such an essential component of both the Pistons and then later on the Bulls.
0: Well, the thing with Robin, too, two things. I mean, first of all, you saw how important he was that Jordan jumped on a plane to get him. That's A. But Phil yes. Jackson, you'll remember this, with the Knicks, he was a rebel for his time. You know, he used to ride yes. a bicycle to the Garden, wear overalls, reading, smoking pot. I mean, he was on those Nick icon teams. I mean, the Knicks have not won a championship since the 70s with, you know, Barnett, the Buescher, Bradley, Reed, Frazier, and Phil Jackson. I mean, they had that great branch with Mike Reardon, Cassie Russell, Stalwart, but Phil Jackson was part of those teams, and he was always a guy who was off the beaten end, you know, reading, going crazy, so I think he knew how to handle Rodman, they said that where, you know what, he was a little off the beaten path himself, and he was like, okay, I'm going to let him go, and I'm going to trust him, and... You know, and he didn't come back, you know. Jordan jumped on a private jet and went to get him. But I think Phil Jackson was the perfect coach for Rodman. And I think Rodman, you know, with him and Chuck Daly, those are two guys that he really enjoyed. But I think other guys, he just, you know, they wanted to corral him. And you can't just let him do what he's got to do and play ball.
1: Seemed impossible. I remember following the team, uh, both the Pistons and then especially with the Bulls. I think that's when Rodman really went crazy. And it was interesting – it was only when all of a sudden it was perceived that his role might be diminished that he kind of flipped out and went even more off the deep end because Scottie Pippen came back from this injury, and Pippen was always at odds with Jerry Krause. Who, uh, how Jerry Krause was one of the top executives in the NBA with the approach that he had uh, it, it is beyond uh, anybody's wildest imagination. And uh, it, it was just a great period of time, a whole different era of sports. Uh, you, you didn't mention my man Earl of Pearl Monroe with Girl. those Nick teams, but I do remember watching Phil Jackson. I was a big Knicks fan. Of course, I lived in New York at the time. Loved Bill Bradley and all these guys. Dave DeBuscher, Willis Reed. I mean, just tremendous teams. Clyde Frazier, as you mentioned. But uh, yeah, I remember Jackson coming off the bench. He was either the seventh or eighth man on that team, uh, which was interesting. Cassie Russell was a great sixth yeah. man. Reed used to come in there. and remember when Reed was almost like uh, giving a human sacrifice. He would come in right before the half. and and give a foul when they had a foul to give. And then he would come in right before the end of the game when they had a foul to give situation and just hack the crap out of somebody. And and we didn't know he could play that well until he got with the Washington Bullets uh, later on in his career uh, when he was eventually traded. But I I remember Jackson had the flying elbows and he had the kind of uh, square shoulders and had that little hook shot, uh, the baby hook. And he was an excellent contributor. uh, One of those guys you thought these guys always end up making good coaches or so it seems as opposed to the superstars because they were the guys that did all the dirty work and knew how to fit in with the team and obviously Bill Jackson was a little spaced out in his own philosophy from all the dope he was smoking in Montana and and North North Dakota and yeah, just, he knew how to handle all these different personalities including, I mean, think about how diverse of a team that was. You had guys, uh, you know, that he coached like Paxson and Steve Kerr that uh, fit the mold perfectly of a team player. And then he's dealing with uh, just a uh, global talent. Probably I mean when you watch the clips uh, was Jordan not the best player of all time? It's hard yeah. to argue against that. Yes. Even though you can make a case for many other people, but uh, he could handle the diversity of a Michael Jordan and placate his ego and then deal with the wild and crazy otherworldly planet uh, type of stuff that Rodman was doing.
0: Now the the GM Krause, he passed away, but man he really does look bad in this whole situation where, you know, he said to Jackson, if you go 82-0, and you're getting banged out. And, you know, the team wins five championships in a row. It's sad to see people like that.
1: Interesting. Because uh, he was well-respected, believe it or not. So um, I really love the access to the behind-the-scenes footage uh, and uh, so many interviews and things. that, And yet you'll see him dancing on the plane. And, and it was yeah. great because uh, you've done this in your career where the, the guys on the team just never ceased. They never stopped dumping on Jerry Kroos. He was a boss. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's true. So that he, he, and he, he didn't care. He just uh, figured it was bringing him, uh, bringing him great uh, claim and success, and uh, he let it go. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. I, I didn't really see the reason uh, why he let Phil Jackson know before that 97-98 season in the last dance uh, why he was letting him go. But let's not forget, he dumped uh, Doug Collins, Or Phil Jackson, who was on the staff in a very unceremonious fashion. And and Doug Collins, uh, anybody that's come across him knows, not only is he highly competitive, very intelligent, very eloquent, and and a good manager of people as well and well-respected, but a very likable guy. So uh, that that was an oddball move, and it turned out to be very fortunate for him that he made the move because Phil Jackson turned out, I mean, you could argue uh, that uh, he was among the best coaches of all time.
0: Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, the guy's got 11 rings. Let me ask you, do you think Krauss was acting on his own, or the owner was telling him what to do?
1: Reinstorf does appear to be a little out of it in the interview with Jerry Reinstorf, who also owned the Chicago White Sox, right? Yeah. So here's a cat that owns more of Chicago than the Wrigleys. <laughs> yeah. He did everything but own the gum company. And uh, he does seem a little distant at this point. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, he's getting up there in years, Jerry Reinstorf, whenever they interviewed him. But... Um, yeah, it was an odd combination. We had a lady on today named Joan Ryan, who was a celebrated columnist from the San Francisco Chronicle, a sports writer for many years, and she had a book out that she was talking about that just came out, I think yesterday, called Intangibles, and she had done a 10-year study about the science of team chemistry, Okay. and as much as I respected Joan Ryan in that interview and all of her work, I'm not sure I was buying the science of team chemistry because... You saw what eyeballs they had on the Bulls, and yet somehow they they had the chemistry and the determination to go out there and overcome their worst nemesis, which was the Pistons, and then go on and win six championships in eight years.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. Not that, you know, every team can put it together for a year, and there's a lot of great teams over the years when you look at it have personalities like that, but never won. I mean, two teams that I think had great talent and had crazy personalities were the Chicago Bears in 86, won once, and the New York Mets, 85 Bears, excuse me, the Mets, in 86 when they had those great teams, and they only won once. Yeah. So, I mean, both teams I think of with the Bulls, with the crazy personalities, but, I mean, but they had the X factor. I mean, they had Jordan, the greatest ball player ever. Uh, So Jordan was, you know, hey, even if you got to get on my back, I'm going to score 40, give him, you know, eight or nine assists, and play great defense. So I think that was it, but to have six years, That win like that, it is tremendous. I mean, it really is. I think there's a lot of people watching it saying, oh, my God, uh, you know, I I can't believe that this happened. And a lot of people don't even know how good he was, especially young people.
1: It's funny, too, because so far, I don't know if they get into this, they kind of brushed over the business about the possibility, and there's always a lot of speculation that the reason that Jordan turned to baseball there for a couple of years before he came back, And allowed the Houston Rockets to uh, break that string of championships uh, in the middle of what would have been, I mean, who knows, they probably would have won eight straight if Jordan doesn't uh, leave basketball there to uh, play for the Chicago White Sox, which how he got into the major leagues, uh, you know, I mean, give him credit, uh, he was good enough at baseball to at least function out there uh, with guys that play baseball all the time after being away from the game for a long period, but uh, it was kind of hush-hush huh? exactly what happened there. I mean, most people thought it was because of a degenerate gambling happen- yes. habit, that, which we can all relate to, that was about to embarrass both him and the league. And many people think that David Stern asked him to please step aside before this thing mushroomed. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, he, he decides he's going to play baseball, one of the weirdest things that we've ever seen. Because you see how much he loved the game of basketball yeah. and how fiercely competitive he was. So you can't imagine... It'll be like you deciding to become a painter all of a sudden. You might be able to paint something and you might be okay at it, but you're not as good at painting as you would ever be on the radio. This is your thing. yeah, And uh, in the media. So it it would be very strange to see you decide, Greek, hey, I'm not going to do the show tomorrow because I'm going to leave for a couple of years and write poetry on the beach and then come back to it. So, yeah, there had to be something else at work there. I I don't think they've really uh, investigated or illuminated that aspect of it yet. And I'll wait and see if they do, but I don't uh, think that, so. that was one of the things that's been glossed over for years.
0: Now, when you interview talking to Jeff DeForest, you can hear him on mornings with uh, Mike Luby, every day six to ten. That's how I start my day. When you talk to the altar that day, and that's why I wanted to ask you about this. Did he say? Because I mean, basically Jordan had the final say on everything, so I don't think they're going to portray anything where Jordan, you know, with the gambling. I mean, they showed on a plane where they're playing dice and cards, but I don't think they were going to anything like that.
1: I wouldn't think so. No, the director, uh, he he didn't really say anything about it, and I didn't get a chance to ask him about that aspect of it. It wasn't necessarily the most important thing. But with the detail they're giving you, uh, it would be something. It's just a question I think everybody, fans, media, people in sports, uh, would like to know the answer to that we we may never know and probably won't. I I don't know that we're going to get it here. But I, I do remember going to a Heat playoff game. I took my son to a Heat Bulls playoff game one year. I would have to say this was uh, circus somewhere in the, whenever they played the series in the 90s, and the Bulls were vastly superior to that Heat team, and they were knocking the crap out of them. But uh, the game they lost, I think they lost the series in five, and the game they lost was after uh, Jordan supposedly disappeared into the Bahamas, and I, I don't think it was the Bermuda Triangle, <laughs> but uh, he, he was uh, going ahead and exercising the triangle offense on some blackjack table. And, uh, you know, I went out there uh, on a, a kind of a Rodman-like bender, supposedly, and I uh, came back, and he was horrible that night when he played the Heat. It was very disappointing. I think he shot Iverson numbers, 6 for 21, and still had like 23 points in the game, one of those things where you read the stat line and you go, really, he had 21 points, he, he was throwing bricks up there. But, uh, yeah, that that was a story that, you know, he, he had gone on a bender, a gambling binge in the Bahamas, and came back and showed up right before game time. So, uh, he, he was not without his own uh, you know everybody's yeah. got a few wicks oh, of course. Is, uh, not New York but you know so-called chinks in the armor and um, you know uh, Jordan uh, you know had a share of false also but he was so great he was able to overcome him
0: Of course I mean I mean when you're b- the bigger you are the more money you bring in the better you are at your game you know what they're gonna overlook things and that's where they came out with the thing the Jordan rules uh, I think for Jordan like I said. He was just unbelievable. You can't argue him. Six titles, nobody's going to do that in a long time in seven and a half years. Uh, he might have won seven in a row if he had not did, left, but, but I do think there was some issue with gambling. I don't think you will ever find out about that, and I'll never think we'll ever find out that Super Bowl and the Patriots uh, bench Malcolm uh, Butler uh, what happened to him, the cornerback, when he was crying on the sidelines. I just think those are two things that you're never going to find out. Nobody's going to open their mouth about it, but – Jordan left for some reason, you know, said, hey, I didn't want to do it anymore. And then he goes to Alabama and plays baseball. It seemed far-fetched. But, you know, when he came back, it seemed like he didn't even lose a step. I mean, that's the thing with him. And, I mean, he just had that tenacity, that extra year to just beat everybody. I mean, I'm like you. I'm a big sports guy, obviously. We're sports aficionados. We love it. We can't get enough. I could have watched ten episodes in a row. I mean, I really could have done all that. And, you know I, yeah, used to literally...
1: I, I would prefer it, actually, the way things are going now. I mean, I watched 30 straight hours of Ozark. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, that's in vogue. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's almost torture to wait for next week because uh, I wouldn't mind if they just ran this on five consecutive nights, two at a time. Uh, that would be uh, just about perfect for me. And, and I've gone back and rewatched a couple of the episodes because uh, they were so fascinating and yes. can't get enough of talking about it. We were talking with John Crotty from the Heat broadcast team today on the show. Okay. And uh, he played, uh, you know, his first uh, years in the league uh, were the last years of the Piston bad boy teams and, of course, played against Jordan many times yeah. uh, in different stops that he had uh, on on his tour around the NBA. And uh, he said many of the same things that, that you're finding uh, in, in this episode, these episodes yourself, I mean, about what it was like and the competitive nature of these guys. I, I would say this, uh, almost everybody in pro sports,
0: yeah.
1: and you've seen this, uh, Greek, when you get to know athletes, they're just wildly competitive. They they want to yeah. beat you at anything. That's right. And and you need that. You need a certain amount of that to get to that level. I mean, uh, if you're just a casual guy and you really don't care one way or another whether you win or lose, it's going to be very difficult for you to, you know, go out there and, and succeed in professional sports at that level when everybody else just wants to beat the pants off you no matter what they're playing, whether it's cards on the plane or certainly competing for an NBA title, but what was interesting, too, and, and we'll talk with Ron Rossian about it uh, tomorrow on the show in the morning, because uh, uh, he coached those bad boy Piston defenses, as I said. Yeah. And uh, they butchered, I mean, you mentioned Gronkowski. They butchered Jordan before they had the Jordan rules. Oh yeah, He was taking more hits than Gronk. I mean, uh, yeah. he was getting crushed, so you could see where he might have wanted to walk away from the game, but then they adjusted everything, realizing they needed him in the league, and the next thing you knew, you couldn't blow on the guy without him going to the strike.
0: Now, let me ask you something real quick about casinos. They're talking about Vegas. They're going to be putting up Plexiglass, uh for blackjack tables, slot machines, every other one, uh, roulette. There's only going to be three people at the table. Do you think the casinos can make a comeback if they do stuff like that, or do you think it's going to be too far gone?
1: Not sure. Vegas is really trying to push it. I mean, obviously, they're getting crushed. Uh, as my accountant told me when I came back from Vegas in February the last time I was out there, you picked a bad time to take up Pie Gal Poker. <laughs> 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 I'm sitting at the table there, and I got a guy with a I Love Wuhan shirt sitting next to me, and I'm thinking, uh, we, didn't, we didn't know anything about coronavirus at that point. So. Uh, and then I went to Atlantic City after that, yeah, and I, I you know everybody thinks they had it. Are you one of the guys that thinks you might have had it at some point? No. Where uh, you know you were sleeping a lot or you know, uh, had some symptom. No. maybe you had a mild cold, and, and you're going, oh, my God, now I know I had it. But, um, yeah, that's going to be a difficult one, because it's hard to avoid coming in contact with things. I mean, people are, you know, drooling on these machines. Yeah. (laughs) uh, You know, certainly the spread of saliva is, uh, you know, uh, pretty commonplace, and, you know, you're not washing your hands every time you move from one machine to another. I'm one of these guys, uh, I like video poker, Greek. I don't know if you're into that at all. No. I mean, usually it's a losing crop. You go to get a free drink at the bar, and it costs you 40 bucks just sitting there for a couple of seconds. but. And, and as soon as I make a score, I move to the next machine. So I might be on five, six machines in the span of an hour. Yeah, that's most I, people do. think they're never going to come back and hit again. And I'm moving from seat to seat, and, and you sit there, and you're not using hand sanitizer or any of the no. protocols. So I think that's going to be very difficult. And uh, on a local note, I was just speaking to a friend of mine uh, from uh, Hylia Park, uh, and, of course, uh, one of our fine sponsors on the show, and, and the casino's been closed yeah, And uh, the speculation is, uh, you know, you won't see any activity in casinos probably before June, uh, maybe July, and, and maybe even after that.
0: Wow. I uh, will see what happens. We hope for the best. Difa, always appreciate your call and your knowledge. I listen every day. I love you, brother. Thank you so much. And uh, stay safe and uh, stay out of trouble.
1: I will do, my friend. It was great. Always a pleasure, Greek. And uh, look forward to seeing you in the very near future, we hope.
0: I hope so, brother. So hopefully, we're back at the track one day together. Be careful, and have
1: a great That'll day, my great. friend. Peace. All right, buddy.
0: Jeff DeForest, you can hear in the morning, 6 to 10, him and Mike Luby. That's how I wake up every day. Always listen to those guys. It is the Greek Zone on a Waffle Wednesday. We'll be back in a few minutes. Peace. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah.